really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. We believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Well, congratulations to all South Africans. <clears throat> if you could give me your attention, that would be great. I'm trying to be nice to you. It's the only other color of green that I will support, Erica. So, um, yeah, well done for that. All South Africans, just take Monday off. Just have, have a day off. Just go for it, yeah? Uncle Cyril has said you can have a day off. Maybe they'll have a week without load shedding. Who knows? You can live in hope. <laughs> so if you want to settle down, we're going to do some announcements. And for those of you who are here for the first time, uh, we welcome you. Or those of you who may have come while I was away on mission trip and I haven't seen you, God bless you. Um, one of the privileges you have as a pastor is uh, when people join the church, when people kind of want to connect and, and believe that they've found a spiritual home. So Hafiza, why don't you come forward? Uh, David, why don't you come forward? Ian's not here this morning. Kerry, as well. So Hafiza has come to us. We don't bite, it's fine. Hafiza, like myself, is very shy. Uh, an introverted, and um, Afiza was with us recently in, in Pakistan and seen God, uh, God move and has a real heart for that and real heart to see people uh, brought into that place of freedom and, and minister to people. Um, so that was our first trip to, to Pakistan, of which I know there will be many more. Uh, so she's a heart of mercy for that. So um, you, you felt over the last while, Afiza, that this is the place. Uh, where God's brought you, that you can grow spiritually. Uh, and as what we do with membership, we, we talk to people about the, the various components of what membership actually means, because it is a commitment. Membership is a commitment. It's not a name on a register that you just sign and say, oh, well, I'm a member of the church now. It's not like a country club or a golf club or the gym that you sign up to and then don't actually go. <clears throat> membership is a commitment to community. And that's what the, the graphic shows. It's a commitment to a local group of people where you say, I am making myself accountable to the, the leadership here and they are accountable to me to watch over my soul. That's what scripture says. That's the responsibility of leadership. We have to give an account to God for those who are members here to watch over you. So we take that seriously and we call for a commitment in that as well. And Afiza has read that. She's signed on the dotted line. <clears throat> yep, that's what I get. I get people to sign. Signs on the dotted line so that if I need to, I can go and say, you signed the form. You know what it meant. So, and we joke about that, but it is a responsibility of leaders to encourage, uh, to teach. And scripture says, where necessary, rebuke with all authority. It's, it's the whole package, guys, because we have an eternal perspective and an eternal responsibility. You're excused, Margaret. <clears throat> and so part of that, what we see in Scripture is when Paul tried to join the disciples, the former murderer and persecutor of the church, there's a couple of words that are used that he tried to join. And one of the words is, that's used is, is like of mortar in cement, of something that's unified, of something that's literally concrete, becomes concrete, uh, that's held together. And what they did in the early church was they gave what's called the right hand of fellowship. It was a public affirmation of belonging. It was a public affirmation of commitment to community. So we're going to do that with you, Afiza. I know it looks very formal and we don't do things often very formally, but we're welcoming you on behalf of all the leaders of the church, all the members. You can shake hands too. <clears throat> As a public recognition of our commitment to you and your commitment to us uh, to honor the community here together and work towards that. So um, where did I put, oh, there it is. 
Kerry, maybe you would pray for Afiza and just pray God's blessing on her for the future as well. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much that you have brought Afiza to our church. We thank you for all that she brings and for all that she is. And Lord, we really do pray for your blessing on her today. We pray for your spirit to just show her who she is in you. We really do pray that this will be a really amazing time of a step forward for her where she knows that she belongs, that she is valued, and that she has a role to play. We just thank you so much for her, and we place her into your hands. We pray that you will help us as a community to encourage her, to build her up, and to just help her, to enable her to use her gifts for your glory. And so, Lord, we praise you for her, and we pray for your special blessing on her today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. So if you are new here, then there's a couple of things that are, that, that are relevant to you. You should have received a, a welcome pack as you've come in, which will include a welcome card. For those of you who are watching online, you can fill that in online. newlifecrawley.church forward slash connect. You were just waiting to see if I got that right or wrong. Forward slash connect, and you can give us your details, and we'll follow up with a text, with an email, uh, and seek to integrate you. So if you haven't got one of those, then... Please go for that. Thank you. Next slide. So we have the light party with around 120 kids. Well, actually, we have two light parties. <clears throat> if for some strange reason you don't have any information on it, there are some leaflets at the back. The sessions for booking have, have expired now, so don't click on the QR code. But if you do want to be involved, we can sneak a couple in. Um, a couple of people. Yeah, we'll sneak a couple in, Carol. Carrie's already said, um, so we're going to sneak a couple of extra in. So yeah, we've almost 60 kids plus their parents at each session. So that's this afternoon. If you don't know anything about it, uh, there'll be craft games, music, food. Superheroes fancy dress is optional for the children. All adults are, no, there's an opportunity there for you to dress. I have my Superman suit ready. Uh, no, it's not underneath, Carol, just in case you're wondering. I don't wear it all the time. It's in the office. I know you think highly of me, but no, I don't have that. Uh, so the light party is, is there as well. I want to talk a little bit about prayer, because one of the things you notice as a pattern in the early church is they gathered to pray. We're not so good at that in the West. I know those of you from other cultures, particularly Africans, it's just you grow up with it, you know it. Whole families come to half nights or whole nights of prayer. And that is considered normal. That's considered just part of what you do. It's part of how you grow up. So we believe in, in prayer and we're, we really want to sow into that. And I'll talk a, a little bit more about that in the preach. But we have three opportunities um, that, for you to gather on a regular basis. First one is on a Sunday morning in the other building in the ark. Where we just gather for half an hour to pray for the service to pray for people who are coming, to pray for the message, the worship, all of those things related to prayer. And we're, we're open to what God wants to do in that. The second one, Grace leads a, a weekly uh, prayer meeting on Zoom. So, you know, you can have your Zoom suit. Remember the Zoom suits? Nice on top and, and then your pajama bottoms. So you can even do that uh, on Wednesdays as, as Grace leads us in that. So, um See Grace if you want the information on that. We put it out on Signal app every week, the link for that. So I would encourage you just to connect with that. It's 30 minutes. So it shouldn't interrupt with feeding the animals. I mean, feeding the children. Um, you can do 30 minutes. And even if you can. Well, I was only joking, Lisa. I was only joking. Um, it shouldn't interrupt with, with kind of the stuff of life that you have to do. 30 minutes of focused prayer on that. And then the final one uh, is we have our, our monthly time of extended worship and prayer called Encounter. So we just come to worship, pray, and seek God. It's not a preaching meeting. It's not a teaching. It's really an opportunity to have extended worship, pray, and seek God about the issues of the time. So... The next one is Friday, 10th of November, beginning at 7 p.m. Can I encourage you to pull out all the stops to be there? Particularly for some of you who have never been to any. They are precious moments. They're important moments. And truthfully, I have to say to you, if at this time in our history, 
we're not willing to pray, what's it going to take? Seriously. Look around at the world we're in. Look at what's happening in the world. Jesus said, watch and... And he wasn't talking about television. When he said watch, he wasn't talking about binge watching on Netflix. He was talking about having that prayerful attitude. So can I encourage you, if you need to reorganize diary, if you need to do stuff with kids, do whatever it takes. But come on, let's be a praying church. Amen? Thank you. So I'll expect all of you who said amen to be there. A couple of dates ahead of time, and just so you can plan in, because we know December becomes a very busy month uh, with socializing and all this stuff that you have to do. Uh, there is a ladies' retreat on Saturday the 2nd. Yeah, I thought it was worth a bit more than that, but um, guys, we will probably meet together uh, and eat. No, we'll pray as well. <coughs> we'll pray as well. So if you're interested in, in meeting up as guys, we can do that as well. But the ladies will gather here uh, for their retreat. Kerry and Bev are planning that at the moment. And then as we always do, um, we're having a, a kind of joint online Christmas party with the kids in the church in Pakistan. Uh, last year, many of you were very generous uh, in giving gifts. So we, we know there's a number of Christian organizations, uh, Smart, Smart's Purse, for example, that do the shoe boxes. Well, the reason we don't do that is simply because we have all these personal contacts in a number of different countries, but at Christmas we focus on Pakistan, and so we will ask you to give donations, uh, whatever you feel you can afford. We will then give that money to the guys in Pakistan, and they'll make up the packs for the party for the kids. So we have a wonderful time. Our kids come. We sing some songs to them. We share stuff with them. They do stuff for us as well and if you've seen it before the kids dress up beautifully beautifully dressed they do songs and dance they it's really important to them and 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 they know they're not forgotten when we do that so parents can I ask you to put that date in your diary so that you can bring kids and so we can have a really good representation and we'll speak more uh, about that closer to the time uh, and about giving, because I think that's a, a really good way to support people that I've just been to visit, and we know them personally. We know directly every child where the money's going to. And that's important in days of accountability. So bless you on that. Kerry, why don't you come and share the activity pack that's related to our final message in this series. Thank you. Morning, everyone. So David's going to be talking about um, how important it is to stand fast in God. We're going to be thinking about how um, he blesses those that are persecuted. So today in our activity packs, we've got a number of things. I've got a glamorous assistant helping me here. So do you want to hold that one up really high for me? Is she smiling? I don't know if she's actually smiling. Uh, so we've got there a trustometer. So it says in there... In God I trust and I am not afraid. And it's got different faces on there because you can pray to God whether you're feeling happy, sad, indifferent, um, in pain, and God hears. So it's got a little bit of a, a dial for you to dial around and to say your prayers. And on it, you can decorate it with some of your prayers. Can you hold that again for me? Thank you, my darling. We've got a bookmark for you to design to remember that God is with you in everything. And then we've got a word search and a coloring sheet. And then at the back, I've got a prayer wall. If you want to come and write or draw any of your prayers, and adults can do that as well, um, just so that we're showing to God that he is with us however we're feeling this morning. So Kerry will be joining us a little bit later to talk a little bit in the message as well as we often do. So the activity packs will be given out now. And kids, uh, we know you can do two things at once. We know you can listen uh, as you're doing your activity packs related to this theme. I don't know if you've noticed about human nature, but we're very selective in how we listen sometimes. <laughs> all, all women are laughing at how selective they're men when the football's on or the rugby's on. It's like you can have a full-blown conversation and they just no idea what's been said. I was with a couple this week and it was quite interesting to see how selective and how choosy they were. It wasn't any of you, so don't worry. <laughs> it was someone outside the church. 
but they were quite selective because they'd lost a set of keys to their house. And I was coming to visit them. I was coming to talk to them. And the, the wife was kind of gently saying, um, I gave you the keys. <laughs> and he said, oh, darling, you know, they knew the pastor was there. So they didn't want to have an argument. But, but it was interesting how selective. No, you didn't tell me that. And I could see the wife thinking, I told you. And you didn't listen. She said, have a look for them. So he had a man look. <laughs> you know what a man look is? Yeah. He said, they're not there. I told you. You didn't give them to me. So with a roll of the eyes and a, a little sigh, she went and had a look. And guess what? <laughs> she found them exactly where she told them. <laughs> We're selective, aren't we? We're selective in our hearing. And I, I think when it comes to this passage today and this scripture, I, I think we're quite selective in what we do. So if you have your Bible, Matthew 5, we finish our series on life, healing, choices. Bethany, I'm not going to play the video for the sake of time. I'm just going to read. So Matthew 5, verses 10, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. <clears throat> God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I think we're very selective in, in how we do that because I think we, we miss out the kind of the middle bit of that God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Because I think what we have done, listen to me very carefully. What we have done is we've said, God blesses those who do right. And so we try to do right. And we, we give, we serve, we pray. We do all the things that we, that we believe are right. And sometimes life doesn't work out the way we want. Sometimes we face persecution Sometimes we face problems, sometimes we face uh, pressure, sometimes we face pain, sometimes we face lots of things, and we have this attitude, but God, how can this happen? Because you said you blessed me for doing right. But actually, that's an Old Testament concept. That's not a New Testament concept. When you go into the New Testament, Jesus actually says, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart or take courage because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying, it's not that you're not going to have problems. It's not that you're not going to have pain. It's not that you're going to have seasons of discouragement or disappointment in your life. <clears throat> but take courage because I am with you and I have overcome the world. So I want to kind of widen it today to help you to see and answer the question. And it's the age-old question. Whatever faith people have, this is a fundamental question we come back to. Why does God allow pain in our life? And sometimes we, we come to one of two conclusions. Either we think that God does not care about the pain in our life. And we, we cry out to God and it seems as if nothing is changing. But actually if you look right back where, where God says to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. So I'm sending you. And right throughout scripture, we have this thing where, where God hears the cries of his people. Where God hears the hearts of his people. He's not indifferent to our pain. He just has a different agenda that we'll come to in a minute. And sometimes you think, well, if he does care, maybe he's not capable. And, and, and truthfully, maybe he's not the God that we think he is. Maybe he's not all powerful. Maybe he's not all sufficient. And truthfully, if we are trying to follow God uh, and, as, a, as a believer in Jesus, then neither of those conclusions are satisfactory, are they? We don't want to come to either of those conclusions, even though we might feel it. So why does God allow pain in our life? I want to suggest, quite simply, four things to you. 
that the Bible wants us to have a perspective on. First one is found in Genesis chapter 2. So it's an easy one to find, the first book of the Bible. Some of the reasons why God allows pain in our life is because he's given us the freedom to choose. Let me say that again. God has given us the freedom to choose. For me, it's always interesting when people come to me uh, who are non-believers and I talk to them about God and they say, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering in the world and all of these problems? And you think, okay, you're a person who says, I want the freedom to choose. And so sometimes people make bad choices. You know, I've been in countries where they build houses on earthquake fault lines. We know that in some countries they build houses on flood plains. There's a bit of a clue in there, isn't there? And then the, what, what do the insurance people call it? An act of God. No, it's not an act of God if you build your house on a fault line or on a flood plain and something happens. We have the freedom to choose. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Let's, let's actually pick up verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend, over, to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will, you're sure to die. Isn't it interesting that God spoke to the man but it's often the woman that gets blamed. See, Eve didn't hear God speak to her directly. It was the responsibility of the man to tell her. It was the responsibility of the man. But what happens is God gives us the freedom to choose. And we know that in chapter 3 that they go on and they make very bad choices. And God doesn't stop them. Because we are not robots. We have the freedom to choose. When God speaks to us and God warns us, as he did with Adam, he warned him, listen, you have all this freedom, but this is not good for you. Don't do that. And what did Adam and Eve do? What they had to do, because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil goes on to say that it was placed in the center of the garden. God doesn't waste words. God put it in the center of the garden for a reason. Adam and Eve had to walk past all the provision that God had made for them to get to the center. Because why? Because they focused on the lack. And the enemy came and told them to focus on what don't you have? What don't you have? What has God said you can't have? And all of this provision was there for them. But are we any different at times? God brings people into our life. God brings things into our life and says, I've provided you with all these resources. I've provided you with all these things. But what do we do? We focus on what we don't have and say, God, how could you withhold this from me? How could you restrict me? Why don't I have this? Why can't I do this? And God says, look at all the provision I've made for you. That's a challenge to us. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the good people God has brought into your life? Yes. Good. Are you focused? <laughs> I'm glad someone is. Just to say that I, I know she prays for me every day. Isn't that true? Every day she prays for me. That's a provision of God for my life. I've been promised a recording of it as well. But you know what, kids? You can pray for the leadership. You can pray for these things. You don't have to leave this for the parents. You can develop a strong spiritual life. You can choose, kids, to be deeply spiritual. And often the kids do have that profound sense of wisdom. Uh, scripture says it, doesn't it? Out of the mouths of babes. You have ordained praise. That's why we encourage people, encourage the kids to worship with us. Don't let them play on their phones when we're singing. Encourage them to worship. Speak it out. Read scripture. Pray. Kids pick up things like that, don't they? So they know the songs we're singing. They watch them. They listen to them. They hear them in your car. Don't dumb it down for them thinking they don't understand. They do. And they have the freedom to choose. It's how we nurture them. And you have the freedom to choose. But here's the thing. Next slide. 
God has given us the freedom to choose, but we are not free from the consequences of our choices. See, that's the problem people don't understand. I've had people in front of me and I've warned them and I've said, I've pleaded with them as scripture urges me to do. I've said, please do not go down this line. This will be spiritual death for you. This will cause you to get in a place that you're not right with God and you will walk away from faith. Please don't do it. Thank God some people have listened, but some people haven't. And the choices they have made have sometimes been disastrous and we have faced that as a church. I know our pastoral team supports people. It's not just about me. We have a great team who are caring, who are loving, who are supportive. But we cannot make choices for you. We cannot make choices that are good in your life. We cannot renew your mind for you. We cannot choose to come on a Sunday morning. We cannot choose to listen to God's word. We cannot choose to be in community. We cannot choose to obey God for you. You have to do, but you have the freedom to choose. Amen? Amen. One of the books that Bev has started reading, we mentioned last week, it's by a Christian neuroscientist called, she's South African, God bless you, Dr. Caroline Leaf. This is what she says about thinking. It's not on screen Um, but I can send it to you later. The process of thinking and choosing is the most powerful thing in the universe after God. It's the most powerful thing in the universe after God. It's a phenomenal gift from God to be treasured and used properly. So in the title of her book, switch on your brain, folks. Switch on your brain and make good choices. God has given us the freedom to choose. Now I know even when we make good choices, sometimes we have times of spiritual opposition. Sometimes we have the enemy coming against us. And as we did this morning and as we prayed, sometimes we just need to shake things off us, don't we? Let's be honest. We just get in that little bit of of funk and, and the enemy just has a field day with us and he speaks his lies into us. God's not really for you. He's restricting you. What's he said about that? Oh, he's not allowing you to go there when he's giving you so much freedom to enjoy. And the enemy will come in with that. And for some of you, it's been a bewildering and a confusing time because what you've done is you've, you've sought to follow God. You, you've sought to... Walk in honor with God, but the landscape that you're currently seeing doesn't fit the map that God's given you. And you're looking at the map and and you're tempted to put the map down because you feel bewildered and and you feel discouraged and maybe you even feel exhausted. Maybe you feel defeated. Don't drop your assignment because the landscape doesn't look like the map. Don't drop your assignment. God has given you an assignment in life. John 3, 27. A man can only receive what's been given him from heaven. Don't drop your assignment because of discouragement. Amen? Time to pick it up again. You see, the enemy has come not just to discourage you. Discouragement is leukemia to your soul. Let me say that again. Discouragement is leukemia to your soul. It's a cancer don't get involved in it. And the enemy comes and for some of you, it's like an assassination attempt on your spiritual life. He wants to take you out. Jesus said it in John 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So listen, his agenda for you is clear. But Jesus said he's come that he might have life. The enemy wants to kill you. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to kill your assignment. He's trying to kill your dream. And he does that by planting things in your mind. And he wants to make you hopeless. He wants to to make you oppressed. But the good news is that Jesus has come to break every curse. Amen. He himself became a curse for us. So whatever the enemy wants to put against you, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Now, that doesn't mean to say weapons won't be formed against you. Because they will, if you're trying to do God's will. They will be formed, but they won't prosper if you keep yourself in the right place. Jesus has become a curse for us. He has broken every spiritual bondage. We can live in freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1. It was for freedom 
The Christ has set us free. Colossians 2, 15, 14 and 15 talks about the fact that Jesus triumphed over the powers publicly in the cross. The cross and the resurrection is the place where he put the enemy under our feet. We've been raised with Christ in heavenly places. But we need to change some of our perspective. God gives us the freedom to choose. I read it earlier. To appoint them that mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. So come on folks. Choose joy. Choose happiness. Choose praise. Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of praise. Secondly, God uses pain to get our attention. Parents, do you know when you say to your kids, don't do that, you'll get hurt. Don't do that, you'll get hurt. Don't do that, you'll get hurt. And now you're crying. We all know sometimes the only lessons we learn are the painful ones. Sometimes we know the times, and I know it as a pastor, they're going to have to learn the hard way. <laughs> but sometimes pain is a great motiv- motivator for us. Proverbs 20 verse 30 says this, Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Is this true? Scripture is true. Sometimes it takes a painful experience because when we're drifting along fine, we think, oh no, I've got this one God. I'll be fine. And then God goes, okay. <laughs> Let's see what happens. And sometimes it's our own poor choices. Sometimes it's just the enemy coming against us. And then God says, okay, I'm going to allow pain to get your attention. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world because it removes the veil and plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel's soul. You see, I think he hits it on the head there. So often, it's the rebellion in our hearts. It's the stubbornness. It's the pride. It's the, I can do this. Do you know what? The biggest problem and the biggest hindrance to our hearts being revived is our own self-sufficiency. It's our own self-sufficiency. Which is why God says in 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by name will isn't it, humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Isn't it interesting that the first thing is not pray? It's humble yourself. Because only when you humble yourself do you begin to see things right, even your pain. Say, okay, God, would you come in and help me now? So you see, God is using pain to get our attention. And one of the things I think in our culture, I think there's a problem of anxiety in our culture. I think there's a massive problem. And it's big business. Anxiety is a big business. You know, Kerry and I were in school a couple of weeks ago. And this was, what what age is that group, Kerry? Are they about seven, maybe eight? And it was, a large, it was a large group. It was my first time in with the rest of the team to this particular group. It was a large group, so I was watching. And one of the girls um, took herself off from all the tables that we were sitting around. And she sat on her own. So I took some of the crafts and, and, and wanted her to engage. And wanted to encourage her to go back to the rest of the group. And one of her friends, listen to this. One of her friends says, oh, don't worry about her. She suffers from social anxiety. I'm thinking, God help us. That a seven-year-old is articulate enough to know that this is a thing. Now, I'm not condemning the fact that the child was a little bit nervous or anything. But the fact that that had become her identity as a seven, eight-year-old kid. The whole area, oh, I'm anxious. You know, here's the thing. Here's what we try and do. We try and fix it, we try and medicate it, or we try and counsel it away. When people are anxious, oh, let's, let's fix it, let's fix it. Let's get this sorted. Or let's medicate it. You go to the doctor 
and tell them you're anxious, what's the first thing they do? Tablets. They don't deal with your problems. They don't ask why you're anxious. Or we cancel it away. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor, by the way. There's nothing wrong where, where a season, it may be that medication is required, particularly if it's related to the brain. And there's nothing wrong with counseling. Just your best coming to Bev rather than me for that. That's just a tip. <coughs> there's nothing wrong with counseling. We believe in it. We support people. But the problem is that we, we don't consider what the anxiety is pointing to. See, the problem isn't anxiety or fear. It's what is it pointing to? What's behind it? What's the reason for it? And so people sometimes say, oh, I've had an anxiety attack or I've had a, a panic attack. Let me say this. If it's an unresolved spiritual issue related to fear and anxiety, we can deal with that. It's easy. Trust me. Jesus won on the cross. He said, don't be anxious for anything. Grace read it earlier. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to live without anxiety. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's King James Version, Isaiah 26, verse 2, I think. Don't quote me on that, but it's in there. You can find it. So there is something about our mind that science is now catching up with, the brain that, that we can renew our mind and, and, and keep on. So if it's not an unresolved spiritual issue of fear or anxiety, then actually it's sending us a message. <laughs> so it's not an anxiety attack. It's an anxiety opportunity to figure out what is going on. What is the opportunity? What is God trying to do? And what is the transformation he's trying to bring? We're asking the wrong question and therefore coming up with this wrong solution. Sometimes I want to say to people, it's not an anxiety attack. It's actually come to give you a key in your life if you'll listen to it. If you'll listen to it. But we don't always do that. This brings me to my third point. God has given us freedom to choose. God uses pain to get our attention. God uses pain to teach us to rely on him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. 2 Corinthians is a very personal book from Paul. Because they've been criticizing him, saying he's not very impressive as an apostle. He's not a great speaker. He's a bit ugly. You know, crooked nose, knobbly knees, you know, whatever else. They're criticizing him. And so Paul writes this really personal letter to defend his authority as an apostle. And part of that is what he says is, Brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about the hardships I suffered in the province of Asia. It, it was so overwhelming, it felt like the sentence of death. But he said, God did all of this so that we might rely on him. Okay, so here's the question and here's the challenge. How well are we doing with putting everything into the hands of God and relying on him? <laughs> exactly. So the issue is not that God won't comfort us. The issue is not that God can't speak to us. It's not the issue that our circumstances and our mindsets can't be transformed and changed. It's that we don't want to get to the place of having to rely on God. <laughs> it's, isn't it true? Come on. We're in church, so you have to tell the truth. Let's be honest. We don't want to get to that place. We'd rather sort the stuff out ourselves. We'd rather get our own solution. And then if we're really desperate and get to the point of desperation, maybe we'll pray about it. But it's not often our first thought. God, would you help me? What are you trying to teach me about relying on you in this circumstance? And God's saying, will you come to me and rely on me? I'm sending you this stuff that you might get to the place of reliance on me. That's God's purpose for us. How well are we doing? I want to bring some encouragement for some of you who who have or are about to launch into something new. Do you know when we hear God, 
and we, we take a step of faith, maybe into a new area of ministry, maybe a new job, maybe a new relationship, whatever it is. We, we sense we've heard God and, and, we, and we take that step of faith. But what we don't realize is that the process of launching into new things and, and the process of transition always takes longer than we expect. It always takes longer than we hope, far longer usually. And this can be discouraging because we think, well, I've taken this step of faith. I've decided to give up my day job. I've decided to put myself out there for something that's new and untested. And the plans that we have don't always work out the way we expect. There's usually delays. (laughs) There's always obstacles. There's always stuff that comes in and we feel it's taking way too long. Can I give you some encouragement? Because we can process this before God when we posture our heart right before God when we posture our heart right we can acknowledge the disappointment the frustration even the sense of hopelessness we can work through those things to get to a healthy place because even John the Baptist had to face disappointment Matthew 11 after proclaiming Jesus as the Lamb of God he sends his disciples to say are you the one Are you the one? He's in prison. Jesus doesn't come riding on a white horse and bust him out of prison. We know John ended up beheaded. Jesus doesn't come and rescue him, but he says, he sends his disciples back and say, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive the sight, the lame hear, people receive salvation, the work of God continues. Don't be offended, disappointed, some versions say. I think the NIV says disappointed. The word literally means don't be scandalized. Don't let your disappointment become a scandal, which it it was also used, the word was used for a bait to trap animals. Sometimes disappointment is the bait of Satan in your life. Sometimes that frustration and disappointment that even though you've taken a step of faith, it hasn't worked out exactly how you want. Don't. Let it become an offense to you. Do you know why? You're in good company. Look at Paul. Paul has this great revelation on the road to Damascus, doesn't he? God calls him, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And we we read in the Bible, we, we flick one page in the book of Acts. But that one page might be 17 years. Do you realize that? Do you know after Paul got this revelation, it's three years he spent, spent in the desert. Three years in the desert getting more revelation from God. And another 14 before he goes up to Jerusalem. So in total, 17 years before he fulfills this calling to be an apostle. But it's one page in our Bible. And we look at it and go, God, why? Why is it taking so long? Why? There's no such thing as microwave Christianity. There's no such thing as microwave maturity. You can't just turn the page. What about Moses? 40 years in the desert. In the backside of the desert. Not even a nice place. A backside of the desert. Forgotten alone. What about Joseph? He had a prophetic dream as a teenager. Reckon maybe 22 years before he got to that place. So... What do we do in the waiting times? (laughs) That's the key, isn't it? What do we do in those waiting times? What do we do when God is teaching us to rely on him? When we've heard the promise, when we've believed the promise, when we've received the promise, are we going to be like Abraham and get our Ishmael? Are we going to go our own direction and try in our flesh and build something successful for ourselves? The times of waiting can be filled with angry frustration but they can also be filled with joy they can also be filled with preparation they can be filled with learning they can be filled with growing they can be filled with milestone markers meaningful connections with God other dreams and visions being fulfilled along the way if we're willing to wait and rely on God that's not easy but that's the truth. Not everyone will tell you that. 
Sometimes I hear people say, oh, just come to the farm, we'll pray for you, all your problems will go. Well, that's not real, is it? We know that. It's, it's not life. It's not the reality. There isn't 10 miracles before breakfast for you to sort out your marriage. It's the daily choices. It's the renewing of the mind. It's living righteously, truthfully, day by day. So I want to suggest there's a couple of things that I feel we need to dig into as a church. This has come through, some of you remember John Scott, a prophetic teacher who's been with us and I've been speaking to John again. He's looking forward to coming back next year. And some of the things he said were about wells that we need to dig into in new life. One of those is worship. There's a well of worship, but not simply intimate, nice, soft, gentle songs. I think God wants us to rise up with a, a militant sound in our worship. With, with a, a raising of voices, a raising of hearts, with something that is dynamic in our worship, not just intimate. And that's a choice we have to make. If you look, the majority of scriptures that talk about worship talk about stuff at a loud volume and high praise. Now there is times of quietness, there is times of stillness, we believe in that. But the majority of scriptures that relate to worship are stuff that involves us getting out of our British comfort zone. Yeah? Especially those of you who are not British. Don't go into the British comfort zone, please. You weren't designed to be there. Anyone? Huh? We, we are not an English church. I'm not English. You know that, don't you? Huh? I'm Irish. We're warriors. We believe now our worship should have a militant sign. Secondly, prayer. We've talked about that. <clears throat> I would love that we become known as a house of prayer. Really. If we want to see all that God has for us, if we want to see God birth what I think he has for us, then we're going to have to pray. And I don't just mean odd prayers or bedroom prayers. Bless me, bless my kids, bless my family, blah, blah. No, I mean prayers that are significant. Prayers. Here's the thing I heard recently. Lack of prayer is not busyness. It's pride. <laughs> Lack of prayer in our life is not busyness. It's pride. Spiritual warfare. I, I think we need to get engaged with this. We're in a spiritual battle, folks. If you haven't realized that by now, you soon will. So it's going to take us to do spiritual roar warfare the right way. And that's not focusing on rebuking the darkness. That means turning on the light. <laughs> Because I go in some nations, Carrie, why don't you come? I go in some nations where the majority of the prayer is rebuking the darkness. Do you know what happens when you do that? The devil's quite happy because you get worn out. You get worn out. Forget about rebuking the darkness. Turn on the light, please. The final thing that I think we need to really sow into and dig into is community, Carrie. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about community because we believe as a church family that community is really, really important. The community out there is really, really important to us, but the community here is as well. David said that the enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy us individually. He wants to destroy us as a church. And do you know what? If you watch a lion when it's attacking, what tactic does it use? It uses isolation. When an animal is in pain, no, lots of you know I've got a bonkers dog. When my dog is in pain, he hides under the table. Also, when my dog's done something wrong, he hides under the table. Our natural instinct when we're in pain or when we've done something wrong is to hide. God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be in community. And so I think we've got a slide, Bethany, if we can go. I think it's two on. Can we go one more? Brilliant. I heard this a few weeks ago and it really, really struck me. So I'm just going to quickly go through these headings because this is how we can use community to really fight off what the devil's trying to do to us. Because, and when I talk from the front, I need to let you know this is from the heart. Because if it sounds as though we're nagging, if it sounds as though we're moaning, it's because we've been there. I've been in the place where I've tried to hide myself away and it doesn't work. 
I know the only way to move forward with God is to do it in community. And that's what we're trying to encourage you to do. So the first thing is priority. I'll let you into a little secret. The devil does not want you to build relationships. The devil does not want you to have Christian friends that can encourage you, that can build you up. And so he will do everything he can to stop you from getting together with people. We have to fight that back. And there are days when all of us wake up with a headache. There are days when all of us wake up feeling tired. There are days when all of us wake up and it's raining. Let's not make that an excuse to not meet together. Small groups, I think, are really important. We've got, a, we've got some amazing small groups. Lorene runs Reflect every Friday. And I know that the young people get together and really meet together. It encourages us. We would love to do more small groups, but we're only going to do it if people turn up. We would love to get to the point where people are running their own small groups in their homes, where people are running their own small groups here if they need to, but a chance for people to get together. But we don't make it a priority because we all have times where we really think, I can't go today. And the, I think one of the saddest things that we hear is, I'm not going to go because I don't feel like it. I've got nothing to give. You might not feel like it. Somebody else at that group might need you. And that's the way to look at it. There are times when all of us say, I'm not getting anything out of that. There might be times when you go to a small group and get nothing out of it. You have no idea what you've given to somebody else. So making it a priority is so, so important. Because when you make it a priority, you start to build chemistry with people. You start to get to know people. You start to understand. And that initially can be really superficial. You can talk about the rugby. You can talk about what you like to cook. You can talk about cake. You can talk about anything that helps you to get to know people. Because once you've built that chemistry, that's when the vulnerability comes in. Because I don't know about you, but I don't share my heart with somebody that I don't know. And so if we get to know people and build up that chemistry, then we become real. And that's when we can say, my life is hard. And then we pray together. So priority, chemistry, vulnerability, and then we get an empathy. I've just got goosebumps when I'm standing up here because I'm thinking about how precious it is to know that somebody understands. How amazing is it to know that somebody is standing with you? I'm going to share something that I wasn't going to say from the front this morning, but I'm going to. Because, in, as you know, the last six weeks have been quite hectic. And there was one time when I got to the point and I thought, I can't do this. And God actually gave me a picture and this picture was of me standing there and there were two members of this congregation holding either arm and they were holding me up. And those people I know pray every day for this church and for the leadership and I know they pray for me. And that picture for me reminded me that actually when we are standing together, there's nothing that we can't do. So we build that empathy, and that's then when the accountability comes in. Because again, if somebody that I don't know comes up to me and says, Kerry, I think you're going the wrong path, because I'm quite stubborn, it doesn't sit well with me. But if somebody that I have built up a relationship with, that I trust, and I know that they trust me, comes to me and says, Kerry, that's wrong, it's a lot easier to take. So community is so important. And if you have an idea for how to build our community up, speak to us. We can't do every whim. We can't say just because you can meet at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday we're going to do it. But we can listen and we can try and build that community up. Because when we do, when we make it a priority, we build up that chemistry, we become vulnerable, we have empathy for each other, and then we have the accountability that brings us to that place together to do God together. Because we've got an honesty that me means we move forward together. That's what I think community is.
is accountability. So I'm accountable to the leaders. I'm accountable to the assemblies of God. I have a boss. We all have a boss. We all are accountable. And that's part of what church is. And I think that's one of the things that's challenging in this culture. The people don't want to be accountable. They don't want to submit in the right sense, in the biblical sense. But that is important if we're going to build community together. Very quickly, I know this message has been slightly longer today, but I felt it's important. Final point. God uses pain to give you a message for others. As Kerry said, so often we come and think, well, I'm tired, I'm, I'm sick, I'm not well, I'm this, I'm, I'm that. But actually, coming to church is not simply about what you receive. It's about what you give. And sometimes out of that, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says this, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So actually, out of what God does in our life, out of the reliance and the dependence he's trying to bring and the lessons we learn, he wants that to be a lesson to others. Those of you who do the Lectio 365 daily reading app, this was a quote this week from one of the guys. How I deal with my pain may well be the most significant factor in how my life will pan out. The things I go to for comfort in response to the question, what shall I do with my pain, will probably define the person I come, I become. So think about it. Where do you go to for comfort when you're in pain? Because that will define you. It will also define whether my pain is transformed into something useful, into something beautiful, into something neighbor loving, or whether it's transferred onto others, calcifying into bitterness, sickness, and broken relationships. You see, if we're making a healing choice, because we're all going to face pain, right? We're all going to face pressures. We're all going to face difficulties. We are not immune from that. We live in a broken world. So the choice you have is, are you going to let your pain be transformed? Are you going to let it be transformed, transferred onto others? That's your choice. Are you going to let God transform it so it becomes a message for others? Are you going to let it be transformed, transferred onto others? As we conclude, I want to just give you a couple of resources, links to resources. This is a six-minute little video that's a TED Talk. Many of you will have heard of TED Talks. Angelie Lee Duckworth is a psychologist, and she talks about the power of grit. And I think that's something that we find missing in the upcoming generation, that somehow that resilience, that grit isn't always there that they don't always kind of stand when a bit of difficulties come. So I think we need to have a little bit of grit in our life. She also mentioned something that I've mentioned before is the growth mindset. Carol Dweck is a Harvard psychologist who talks about it's the attitude of our mind that makes a difference about the circumstance of our life. So do we have a growth mindset where our difficulties and our failures then inform our growth? Or do we have a fixed mindset that says, I, I am a failure because I did something wrong? There's a difference. And then the final thing that we're mentioning is the switch on your brain book that the Bev has started to read. Uh, again, a Christian neuroscientist that talks about the power of the mind. We have choices, folks. And as we've gone through these whole resources, there's a few discussion questions that you can look at during the week as well. But as we've gone through this whole kind of series, I want to come back to three final questions, which should be the next slide. What is God asking you to do in your pain? I'm not asking, do you have pain? Because you're human, you're alive. Somewhere in your life, there will be pain. What is God asking you to do in your pain? What response is God asking from you today? Where is he want, wanting to comfort you, to grow you, and to teach you? You have a choice today what to do. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you care and you are capable working in our life. Lord, I pray today that as we consider your word, as we consider how it impacts our life, whatever age we're at, that we'll make the right choice because you've given us freedom to choose, to rely on you, to trust you, to go to you for comfort, to respond to you, that you might transform the pain in our life to become a message to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship team, we're going to come and sing our final song. Those of you who are guests, we don't usually take up an offering, but there is envelopes at the back and a small box at the back that you can do that. If you're a regular, then we encourage you to give by standing order. Uh, That really helps us as a church. The guys have chosen a great song for us to finish. It's called, I'm Trading My Sorrows. Let's make that choice today as we do that in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.